It's the Legal Toolkit with Jared Correa. With guest Toya Gavin, a round of sticker quit. And I finally tell Jared everything that annoys me about him. But first, speak of the devil, it's your host, Jared Correa. Oh, uh, yeah, it's another episode of the Legal Toolkit Podcast. My name is Jared Korea, and because Monty Hall was unavailable, I'm your host. I'm the CEO of Red Cave Law Firm Consulting, a business management consulting service for attorneys. Find us online at redcavelegal.com. I'm the COO of Gideon Software, Inc. We build chatbots so law firms can convert more leads. You can find out more about Gideon at www.gideon.legal. Before we get rolling, I'd like to take a moment to thank my mom for listening to every episode. Now, my mom is the real reason you're listening to the show right now, but the sponsors have a little something to do with it as well. So I'd like to thank our sponsors also. We would like to thank Alert Communications for sponsoring this podcast. If any law firm is looking for call, intake, or retainer services available 24-7, 365, just call 866-827-5568. Scorpion is the leading provider of marketing solutions for the legal industry. With nearly 20 years of experience serving attorneys, Scorpion can help grow your practice. Learn more at scorpionlegal.com. Clio's cloud-based practice management software makes it easy to manage your law firm from intake to invoice. Try it for free at clio.com. That's C-L-I-O dot com. TimeSolve is the number one web-based time and billing software for lawyers, providing the most comprehensive billing features for law firms, guaranteed to improve collection rates www.timesolve.com. Lawyers do a lot of obnoxious things, but perhaps the most obnoxious thing that lawyers do is refer to other humans as non-lawyers. It's awful, it's embarrassing, it's demeaning, and it's long past time it's stopped. Hey, everybody, this is not fucking Harry Potter where you're wizards and everyone else is a muggle. Just get over yourselves. Do you think plumbers sit around and talk about non-plumbers? Probably not, because they're not dicks. I haven't written a law review article on this or anything, but my guess is that, and my educated guess, is that the whole lawyer-non-lawyer dichotomy developed out of legal ethics as a way to define a lawyer's duty to oversee, quote-unquote, non-lawyers. Uh, fun fact, I quit law review in law school. And they told me I'd never amount to anything. Now I'm hosting a podcast. All right, at this point, I think I could take this in any number of directions, but let's focus on the relationship between attorneys and support staff. I know plenty of law firms where support staff are the engine that drives the firm. And yet, lawyers, seekers of worst case scenarios and micromanagers like nobody else really drill down into this like lawyer and non-lawyer divide when they're managing their staff. In the first instance, they're viewing paralegals and administrators as staff and not as team members. Pretty tough to establish a culture that includes any non-lawyers, in that case, in decision-making. And yet, legal support staff know more about substantive work than lawyers do, in some cases, and even perform it better. They understand leads and clients better, in many cases, because they have more frequent interactions with them than lawyers do. What's the chief complaint about lawyers from legal consumers and clients? They don't contact them back. Paralegals, support staff, 
also have a better grip on finances in some cases, bookkeepers as well. And oftentimes they have a better grasp of the broader law firm marketing tactics. Lawyers usually focus only on in-person networking, but there's more that goes into bringing a client into a law firm than just that. And yet, these are the people that get ostracized. What's wrong with this picture? Neither is this a good look for law firms because lots more lawyer power brokers are men and a larger percentage of legal staff people are female. That relationship is paternalistic enough before you add name calling into the mix. Now, when I talk to consulting clients of mine, I always tell them to hire lawyers last. Legal staff, let's call them team members now, are often cheaper, more effective, especially when they're starting up, by the way. When you hire a new attorney right out of law school, the learning curve is super deep and costly. You're not making money off of those people for a long time. And paralegals, legal staff, team members, they come with less baggage than lawyers because they didn't just come out of law school and think they're hot shit because of it. So this is why smart law firms are shifting to non-attorney staff to take on new roles, including smaller firms that are being hired people like COOs, marketing technicians, salespeople, non-lawyers all, right? So let's be real for a second here. If you want to run a more efficient and effective law firm, you should be doubling down on non-lawyers rather than looking down on them. Building a true legal team and effective law firm culture requires it, in fact. So if you're not ready to embrace your staff as a full-fledged member or full-fledged members of your legal team so that you're all pulling for the same goals, that's a non-starter. Stay tuned because we're about to team up with our guest, Toya Gavin from Legally Bold. That's next, but first, a quick commercial break. Now more than ever, an effective marketing strategy is one of the most important things your law firm can have, and Scorpion can help. With nearly 20 years of experience serving the legal industry, Scorpion has proven methods to help you get the high-value cases you deserve. Join thousands of attorneys across the country who have turned to Scorpion for effective marketing and technology solutions. For a better way to grow your practice, visit scorpionlegal.com. As the largest legal-only call center in the U.S., Alert Communications helps law firms and legal marketing agencies with new client intake. Alert captures and responds to all leads 24-7, 365 as an extension of your firm in both Spanish and English. Alert uses proven intake methods, customizing responses as needed, which earns the trust of clients and improves client retention. To find out how Alert can help your law office, call 866-827-5568 or visit alertcommunications.com slash LTN. Okay, it's about time to literally get to the heart of this haggis. Actually, don't eat haggis. It's disgusting. My apologies to William Wallace. Let's interview our guest. What do you say? My guest today is Toya Gavin, who is the founder of Legally Bold, where she helps legal professionals get a better job, whether that's continuing to be a lawyer or looking for an alternative career. Toya, welcome to the show. How are you? Thanks for having me, Jared. I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing all right. This is great. I I love doing these podcasts because it gives me a chance to catch up with people that I have not sometimes talked to for a while and certainly of late haven't seen for a long time. So it's good to see you virtually. (laughs) (laughs) It's good to see you virtually too. I know COVID has kept us all away from each other for a long time. It's been weird times for sure. Yeah. We've known each other for a little while now. Do you want to do the recap of how we met? Sure. So I left my job, my 
real legal job. Yes. <laughs> as opposed to the as, fake one, right? As opposed to the fake one. <laughs> so I left my job as a prosecutor in 2015. And when I did that, started following Solo Practice University, which is where mm-hmm. I found you and your work. And we started to work together. You were my first coach. So technically, <sighs> you inspired that. all of this. That's good. So uh, hopefully yeah. it's going well, because I wouldn't want to screw any of that up. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's going it's going very, very well. And, and now you've got your own like coaching and consulting business. That's really cool. And you're enjoying yeah. it more than you did practicing law, right? Yeah. Um, just a little bit. Just a little bit. Yeah. No, I after I went out on my own, I was enjoying that, but I had... Um, like my first bout with like major depression and anxiety around 2016 into 2017, mm. like it lasted a lot longer than, I mean, I don't know, I'm a lawyer. So I thought like, oh, okay. So like eight weeks. I remember this is, a, this is how funny yeah. we are. Like I remember going to my therapist the first time and saying like, okay, so like she told me I needed a break. And I was like, oh, so like two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's totally a lawyer mentality. I'll take the weekend off. Is that cool? Yeah. Like is that like that should be good. And then you're going to give me like a worksheet or something. Right. And right. And I'm good. And she was like, no, that's not, that's not how this works. <laughs> I mean, I think it's great that not only you got through that, but you're willing to talk about it because that's a significant issue in the legal vertical that a lot of people don't discuss or are not willing to discuss because lawyers are supposed to tough it out, right? Right. And there is just a myth that lawyers are toughing it out. There's a large percentage of us who are struggling with that. And it shows up in substance abuse. It shows up in the way we do our work. Like I remember being in law school and you know how you do the character and fitness and they're telling you mm-hmm. like, oh, remember to like return your client's phone calls. And I'm like, Who's not going <laughs> to, like, why is this, why is this a conversation? Of course you will just like return their phone calls. Right. But I think a lot of those issues are really people struggling with the overwhelm and feeling like they have to handle everything yep. and not really knowing how to language, I need help or, you know, something is up here and not really knowing what that is. Um, right. Yeah. I think that's mm-hmm. totally true. And I do believe that you're right. A lot of those lawyer issues come from underlying anxiety issues, depression-related issues. It's especially like smaller firm attorneys, solo attorneys, that happens a lot. And then also I think we can get into the bigger firms. There's just so much pressure to perform all the time that it's really tough. Right. There's never an outlet to say like, I need help or I don't understand something or I'm struggling. There's always this facade you have to keep up of like, Everything is fine, and I'm on top of everything. And so, yeah, the I think it's it's almost thirty percent. If I like almost thirty percent of lawyers that that reported because they did this study with the ABA, and so that's self reporting too. You got a bunch of lawyers probably not self reporting. Yeah, right. I remember when that happened. I actually wrote a piece for Solo Practice University, and the piece was more like, "So I have to stop. I'm depressed. I'm a black woman." Probably not going to work again. <laughs> right? <laughs> however, and, but, however turned it all around. Turned it all around. No, after that piece, because it was really just me being vulnerable about like being afraid. Yeah. And then um, yeah. from that piece, I got like emails from attorneys like all over who were like, can you, can we talk? I'm going through the same thing. Like yeah. all this. Yeah. And that kind of sparked my interest to do something for for our profession like we have this can't be it like this we can't well, be it well i kind of i mean there's 
there's a logical trail to where you ended up, I think, because mm -hmm. if you look at it, like a lot of attorneys don't do what you did, which is like, I'm going to stop and reassess. They never do that. They just keep moving forward. So the fact that you're helping other people now to kind of stop and reassess and also to look at alternatives to a legal career. I think a lot of attorneys also feel like they're a lot, like you said, like I'm never going to get another job again. Right. Because like I can, a lot of people feel like I can only do one thing, but that's not true at all. Like if you've got a legal degree, you've got a skill set that works across a number of places. And sometimes it's just about stopping, reassessing and figuring out a better way to move forward. Absolutely. And I think, you know, our profession does the people in it a disservice by not really highlighting that or explaining that there's so many skills. You know, I always say like to my clients too, like it's a skill to be a professional asshole in any setting. <laughs> and what I mean by that is the person who's always like, so I'm following up yes. on the follow-up yes. on the follow-up. Yes. Remember you said, remember you said, remember you said, that's a skill, man. No, it's very and true. To, <laughs> and to not... <laughs> And to not be afraid to talk to anyone in any position to, you know, really say what needs to be said. I spoke to another lawyer recently who defined it as managerial courage. Yeah. Like lawyers have that. Like we're coming in the room and we're going to say the things that need to be said. And that's just some of the things that we can identify. But there's no real language around that in our profession to no. explain how those things can, you know, cross in different areas. I think that's very true. That idea of managerial courage is something that lawyers can impart. Most do, actually, I feel like, mm -hmm. in a lot of cases. I think this subject of like, I think it is difficult to be a lawyer in many cases. And I also think it's difficult to be a lawyer in many cases if you're not like an old white male lawyer as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I kind of want to talk a little bit about that too, because we were talking a little bit before we did the show here and... This whole Meghan Markle, Oprah, Prince Harry, royal family thing is in the news like right now. So for those folks who don't know what's happening there, can you give a quick recap? And then I think it's, I thought it was really interesting how you tied this into the notion of microaggressions that take place in a work environment. So what's your mm -hmm. take on that? Because I thought it was really interesting. Well, I thought Meghan Markle and that whole story was just a, a perfect example of what people of color and particularly black people go through when they've reached a certain level of professionalism, right? So if mm -hmm. you take Megan, Megan is like one of the most beautiful women I've ever seen, one of the most poised women I've ever seen. Like she's amazing, she's beloved, she's charismatic, she's friends with all the people, right? They <laughs> she knows all the people, right? <laughs> and even with all of those attributes, when she went into that family and they liked her, and I'm putting in air quotes, they yes, liked yeah, her. you got to tell people when you're doing the air quotes. Okay. Yes, I'm putting air quotes. <laughs> they liked her and they uh, welcomed her into the family when it came down to protecting her, protecting her son, and the optics of it, questioning whether, you know, how her son was, how what his skin tone was going to be. Yeah, that was definitely a yeah. bad look for the royal family. For sure. <laughs> right? It, it really goes to the nature of just how deeply embedded this idea, racism is in our culture and around the world. And why I call it microaggressions is like, you know, it's Britain, right? So these are really aristocratic. <laughs> right. They're well-mannered people, right? So I'm sure no one went up to her and, you know, said some racist thing and was pointing or gesturing in her face. Mm -hmm. What they did is they just, we're just going to remove your security. 
so you're you it's almost yeah. like you feel like yeah. you're like is what's happening to me really happening to me so you're questioning your own grip on reality right like mm-hmm. is this racist because they they're not calling me names but like yeah they're, they're, they're just doing this other thing to encroach <laughs> right yeah. they're just doing all these things that you know when i talk to them about it i'm sure they're like no it's just this is just protocol this is just how it is <laughs> right Right. It has nothing to do, and then if you ask about race, it's like, why would you bring that up? Of course. Yeah. <laughs> That's not the reason. Yeah. No, course, I mean, yeah. but I think you're right in that, like, you can take that example from really austere British royal family, Buckingham Palace, and you could probably find similar analogies in law firms in the United States, right? And. I mean, yeah. you probably experienced some stuff like that in your career as well, I'm sure. Not that I'm asking you to talk about it, but like I'm sure you and other lawyers have experienced the same things in different ways. Yeah. I I think like I it's particularly around like this year and COVID times and like everything that's happened with race relations in our countries during twenty and two thousand what is this? Twenty twenty and twenty twenty. It's hard to know what year it is anymore. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I've had a lot of conversations with attorneys who are just disappointed in their firms because, you know, they were the rising star, mm-hmm. quote unquote, in their firm and they were doing so well. And so when they approached their firm or, you know, their diversity committee approached their firm about issuing a statement in support of the protests or mm-hmm. issuing a statement condemning, you know, the murder or the racist murder of George Floyd or any of that, they got shut down. Hmm. I even had someone tell me that he was accused of starting a coup in the law firm by even bringing this up. And he's like, what? (laughs) (laughs) And so like, that's what I'm, that's what I mean about like, and, and another way, you know, microaggressions show up is what I like to call like performative social justice. Mm -hmm. It's like, Let's have a panel discussion about the lack of diversity in our law firm. Right, right. right. <laughs> great, great. You had that panel. Have you hired any more people of color? Yeah. Have you adjusted yeah. the salaries of women so that they're on par with men? We're getting to that. But I, th- <laughs> but I think you're talking like, so that in contrast to say like the general counsel of Coca-Cola, I think came out. What was like maybe three weeks ago? I was like, look, if anybody's going to be getting legal work from Coca-Cola, they need to have this percentage of minority employees, which is a different thing than having a panel or putting something into a committee, right? Which is what lawyers Mm -hmm. do all the time. Let's put this into a committee and then figure out what to do later, like 50 years from now. (laughs) Right. So We love a good committee. Right, right, right. No, but but I see what you're saying. Like putting things into action is different than talking about putting things into action. Just mm-hmm. out of curiosity, do you see something's happening in law firms that would be heading down the road of actual actions that are being taken rather than just talking about doing things? You know, I think that it's going to be spurred by businesses, right? So I think like, you know, like you mentioned, Coca-Cola and other mm-hmm. businesses are going to start to inquire and question um, and because of that, you know, law firms will begin to change. I'm, I'm a big fan of like, I can't change your mind and your heart, but we can change actions. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. so I can, regardless of how you feel, right. Or regardless of how I feel, I have to pay taxes. Right. 
listen, they have to be paid. So I pay them. Right. Um, <laughs> right? <laughs> I think that until we address all of these issues, which are deeply rooted and they're just nuanced and confusing, just having those standards as to how you hire, how you pay, um, you can just create those rules so that there's equity and then figure out all of the feelings behind it on a continuous basis, you know? Because yeah, I think part of this is like being introspective about it, right? Because what came mm-hmm. out today, the day we're recording the podcast, is this interview happens with Oprah. Prince William and his wife are out on the playground this morning, and somebody says, what about this interview? And he says, the royal family is very much not racist. So to you, does that feel like a standard like law firm response, where it's like, oh, hey, yeah. this is not happening? <laughs> Rather than saying, okay, let's be more introspective about this and see how we can improve what we're doing. 100%, right? The the word racist is so charged, mm-hmm. right? And so no one, you know, I always say I, I've never met a racist who said there were racists, right? Like there's, <laughs> right. I, I've never, I've never met one who admitted to being Racist, right, 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 right. Because no one wants to. You know, people are not raising their hands and being like, "Oh yes, yeah, like I, me." I'm, I'm racist. I'm, I am actually, actually, <laughs> right. I'm the first one. Um, <laughs> and so it's charged, and you know, it's almost there. There are so many nuances, and there are so many ways that bias creeps in into all of our lives, and so that his response. It makes sense because you're immediately put on the defense, mm-hmm. you know, so he he's will say, I'm not that, like, I'm not that person. Right. And it's really about thinking about the actions, right? Like, if, if it had been his wife and they said, listen, no, 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 we love you, we love you, but you need to get a job and we're not going to offer security to you or your son because, you know... We're just not into brown-haired kids. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Would his response be like, "Oh, my brother is just it's fine. This is you wouldn't do that." Right? right? And you would expect your brother to say, "That's not right. Don't treat my brother or his family like that." Mm-hmm. Right? And so mm-hmm. that conversation, that internal conversation is a hard one to have with yourself. Totally. Yeah. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, I think this is a great take by the way on your part, like being introspective, thinking about things taking actions on things, not perpetually putting it off. I think those are probably all good lessons for law firms. I thought this was great, by the way. Mm -hmm. And um, I really appreciate your willingness to open up on subjects like these because I know it's not an easy thing to do, but I think it's important to talk about them. So thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So that's Toya Gavin from Legally Bold. And she'll be back in a moment. We're going to do some fun stuff after those heavy topics because... We'll take one final sponsor break so you can hear more about what our sponsors can do for your law practice. Then stay tuned for the rump roast. It's even more supple than the roast beast. Did you know that firms using electronic payments collect an average of $15,179 more per lawyer and see 6% more revenue growth? Simply put, law firms using electronic payments on average bring in higher case volumes and more revenue. For more insights to help turbocharge your law firm, Check out Clio's Legal Trends Report, a compilation of industry insights. Go to Clio.com to download your free copy today. Imagine billing day being the happiest day of the month instead of the day you dread. Nobody went to law school because they love drafting invoices for clients and chasing overdue bills. 
At TimeSolve, our attorneys have the tools to achieve a 97% collection rate. That means more revenue for the same work and turning billing day into happy day. Learn more about how to get to your time and billing happy place at timesolve.com. Welcome back to the rear end of the Legal Toolkit, the Rump Roast. It's a grab bag of short form topics of my choosing. Today, we're going to play stick or quit. Toy, does that sound familiar to you? Yes. yes it does. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the background here is that you've got a little quiz on your website called Stick or Quit. You want to talk to people about that before we get into the, uh, the little game I've designed for us? Yes. So I have a quiz on my website because... One, I love quizzes on websites, <laughs> and that's why who, I created it. Who doesn't? It. That's why BuzzFeed exists. <laughs> and two, I thought it was a great way to help people who were trying to figure out, like, am I just unhappy at this job? Do I need to leave the law? What else do I need to do? And I got that mm. question often. So I created a little quiz to answer those questions. So quiz is free, right? If I jump yes. onto the website and I'm a lawyer who's maybe a little bit dissatisfied in my career, I can take it and then figure out maybe where I want to go. Yes. Yes. The quiz is free. This is a little bit different than that, my <laughs> version of stick or quit. Okay. So <laughs> here's right. what we're going to do. It's about to get dicey. Okay, let's go. <laughs> it was, yes, it's about to get real dicey. So I came up with some crazy home remedies that I found online okay. that are real. And okay. so what I want to know from you is... Would you undertake these home remedies or would you quit? Okay. So I'm going to talk to you about a home remedy. Okay. And then I'm going to get your take on it, whether or not you think it's viable and if you'd stick with it. Okay. Okay. Remedy number one, soaking your feet in vodka eliminates foot odor. Would you try it and for how long? I would try it. And I'm, I'm, not, saying, I'm not saying you have foot odor. I'm just saying if you did, <laughs> hypothetically. I would try it. I would probably, before putting my feet in the vodka, make myself a drink. And so I would do it for as long as I am I have my drink. That's oh, that's a fair point. I like that. Okay. Okay. Because yeah. I was going to say, like, you probably don't want to drink the vodka afterwards. So you make the drink first. You drink the drink. You soak your feet. And then you do the smell test and see yeah. how good you are. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's home remedy number one. Okay. Are you ready for home remedy number two? Yes. Okay. My dad used to tell me that when I had hiccups, I should drink water through a face cloth. Would you try that if you had hiccups? <laughs> you know what came to my mind immediately? <laughs> I'm sure you can guess this. I was like, is this waterboarding? Which is like... <laughs> No, no, it's not like we're not I'm not on my back. No one's pouring the liquid no. into my mouth. I am just putting it merely merely putting a face cloth over a glass of water. This is not torture. Oh, not Geneva okay. Convention Over the stuff. glass of water. Okay. Yeah. Yes. That that makes my fa- just. I just want to be clear in case my family is listening. <laughs> no one waterboarded me as a child. Um, <laughs> I should yeah. have been more clear about that. <laughs> um, you know what? That one seems okay. So put a a face cloth, like a washcloth, or you like yeah, a ch- like a real washcloth, oh. washcloth over a glass of water, and then you drink. It's supposed Ooh. to cure hiccups. Would you try it? If the washcloth was clean, I okay, guess I, that's a fair I, point. I, I would do it if it was clean. I wish people could see your face right now because <laughs> I don't know that you really would try this. It, it makes <laughs> it makes me nervous because I'm like I would need to see the cloth. It was clean because like I know like 
I could think of like have bro- like cousins who are like brothers or like brothers who are really close friends, and they would yeah. say it's clean. I'm putting that in quotations. Right. Yeah, I but, like the liberal uh, use of air quotes here. No. Good. <laughs> but I don't know how clean it actually is. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> I would be I would be reticent to do it. And by the way, full disclosure, my dad is not a doctor, was not a doctor, and that does not work. Okay. Okay, so here's number three. Major League Baseball players who don't mm-hmm. wear batting gloves, they harden their hands to grip the bat effectively, and they do it by soaking their hands in a bucket of urine. If you want to be a Hall of Fame baseball player, would you do that? No. No. <laughs> that's a very fly. <laughs> but that's actually a real thing, believe it or not. That is really true. <laughs> and it does work. It does work. So if you yeah. want to sell out be an MLB player, sometimes you have to go that route. So so they soak them. Is it like, do you do it like every day? Like, what do you have? Like, and is yes. it your own urine or someone else's? <laughs> Does not have to be your own urine. Oh, no. Could be someone else's urine. <laughs> Although, if it were me, I don't know what's worse. I don't know if I'd pick my own or someone else's. <laughs> These are the kind of choices we make. True. So imagine you're sitting in the clubhouse of your baseball stadium you've got your hands soaking in urine your feet soaking in vodka mm-hmm. and then sitting next to you is a little cup with a face cloth on it mm. it's a good day mm. all right i got i got one more for you <laughs> yeah the last one i promise okay. you've been a good okay. sport eating beets to relieve constipation would you try that eating beets <laughs> like the <laughs> like the like the i think beets are a vegetable yes yes, yes. eating beets are supposed to uh, solve for constipation I I did not know this until I recently. I, I haven't had an opportunity that. to try it yet. Uh, so I'll I'll I would totally try this. I would try this. I like beets. I like roasted yeah. beets. So I would I try like this. Oh, you'd roast them. That's a good idea. Yeah, I. Because I was just them. thinking of like grabbing a beet like an apple and just like taking. Oh, a bite. like but a your, raw beet. Yeah, but your your plan is much better. Yeah, I don't know about the raw beet. And your teeth. I mean, biting into a raw beet. So it's probably many nasty. <laughs> Toya, you've been a great sport today. Thank you for playing the rump roast. I appreciate it. Thank you. It It was fun. (laughs) (laughs) We we go down some strange roads on this podcast. (laughs) That's what happens when somebody gives me control over a podcast. All right. Thank you, Toya. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Now, for those of you listening in Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan, I know you're out there. Our Spotify playlist for this week's show covers some of my favorite tunes from the British Invasion. We talked about the English monarchy, so listen to that when it releases with the show. Our guest today has been Toya Gavin of Legally Bold. For more information about Legally Bold, go to legally-bold.com. Unfortunately, we've run out of time for our announcer to tell you everything about me that annoys him. So we'll just have to skip that segment. Oh, well. That'll do it for another episode of the Legal Toolkit Podcast, where Morton's foot is still recognized as a symbol of beauty. Screw you, Jared. Here you go, everyone, my top 10 things that annoy me about Jared. Number 10, his endless, awful Will Ferrell impressions. Just embarrassing. Number 9, his terrible taste in food. Haggis, for the record, is fine. There's more to eat than just mac and cheese and chicken nuggets. Number 8, and this one is really gross. Number 8, he... Hey, stop fading out. Number 8. I 
The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Som. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.